You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. Well, good morning, Mercy's Door. My name is Adam. I am the lead teaching pastor here at the church. So good to be with you this morning. If you are new or newer to the church, just wanted to welcome you, invite you to come up and say hello to me after service day so I can get to know you. And that honestly extends to all of y'all. Um, if I don't know you, uh, like, at the, to the level that I know your middle name, I would really like to know you. Um, you know, just wanted to spend a minute this morning and just kind of say to you, uh, that while I've been with Mercy's Door uh, since she was just an idea, and I've had the opportunity to be preaching for you guys uh, every four to six weeks over the last several years, we're only about two months into this transition where I get to be before you uh, each and every week. And up until now, um, you know, I've been working uh, the nine-to-five hustle um, in addition to uh, my ministry service, which has uh, really disallowed me um, the capacity to really know a lot of you guys um, at a deeper level. So if you haven't been in my GC, um, I probably don't know you as well as I'd like to. Um, and so I kind of really value um, transparency and accessibility, access. Um, and so I kind of want to hold that before you guys this morning and just say um, that the way we're structuring things right now in my home, my wife stays at home, my kids are homeschooled, um, and uh, we kind of take Mondays off as our Saturdays because uh, I'm up here on Sundays, and otherwise, Tuesday through Friday, um, we've kind of said, you know, you guys— for the most part, are doing the nine-to-five hustle. And so your availability is really after five o'clock. And so if I want to be among you guys, then I probably am a second shift guy. Um, And so we are unapologetically spending from about six o'clock in the morning to about one o'clock in the afternoon as first priority family time, helping schooling my boys. My teenager just got his first job. He's going to be tending horses just here in town. And uh, I'm going to go hang out with him in the morning for some bonding time with him, do some school, wrap up around 12, 1 o'clock, and do some admin time. And at that point, I'll be writing my sermons in the afternoons, working on administrative things for the church, planning, leading, things like that. And when you guys start getting off of work, that's your time. Um, I'm really trying to structure my week so that come 5 o'clock, as you guys are available, that I can be breaking bread with you, knowing you, spending time with you. And so I just wanted you all to hear that. Like, if, if, you, if you're looking for access, call me after 5, um, and that's your time. Um, and I'd love to spend that with you, but I'm lights out by 10, so <laughs> just keep that in mind also, okay? Um, but yeah, you know, I, um, I was uh, thinking about a meme that I saw uh, a couple of months ago. It was just text, and it said something like, um, when I was a kid, I suspected that the adults didn't really know what they were doing or talking about, but I had no idea that the situation was this dire, (laughs) okay? (laughs) And, uh, you know, this morning as we look at um, this interaction with Jesus, I was thinking about that meme, and my hope is that as you, if you're kind of note takers, maybe you want to note this down as a flow. I'm more of a flow guy than like a, a, a points guy, but as a flow, what I'm hoping to do this morning is to contrast within the passage the manifold wisdom of God that is made, made manifest to us in the embodiment of Christ Jesus as contrasted to the folly of the man who is wise in his own sight, 
okay? Uh, and so if you kind of want to note that down this morning, we're going to look at the contrast between the manifold wisdom of God embodied in Christ Jesus to the folly of the man who is wise unto himself, okay? That's something we're going to see this morning. And then what I want to do this morning is from the passage, I want to glory in the power of the Holy Spirit to make one wise in the matters of Christ and also caution us this morning against the power of the flesh to confuse the voice of our own passions with the voice of God. Okay, so again, maybe point two of the flow is I want to glory in the power of the Spirit to make one wise unto the things of Christ against the power of the flesh to confuse the voice of our own passions with the voice of God. Now, I think we're going to do that this morning as we see Jesus answer for himself three questions that are asked of him in this passage. He's essentially asked in today's interaction, where do you come from? who taught you, who sent you, and where are you going? He's going to answer those three things, and in so doing, I believe that we are going to see these two contrasts. Okay, but before we enter into that, would you guys pray with me uh, that the Spirit would move in this place? So, Father God, every time we open up your scriptures, Lord, we have an opportunity to hear from the wisdom of the Most High God, Lord, to be taught by your very Spirit who inspired these words, God. And our confidence this morning is that the very Spirit who inspired your Scriptures is the Spirit that indwells your church. And so we have the great Helper to reveal to us what it is that you have to say to us this morning, what it is that you've written all these years ago that are still relevant for us to hear today. I pray that you would give me power in the Spirit to articulate what it is that you have to say the way that you mean to say it, not the way that I do. And pray that you would give the power to the church for our ears to be open, uh, to receive uh, the riches of the majesty of Christ Jesus, that we might magnify him as we've been created to do. We ask that in his precious name. Amen. So we are in chapter 7 again this morning. Um, and uh, you'll remember that last week, uh, Jesus' brothers were kind of goading him uh, to go with them down to the Feast of Tabernacles. They were taunting him and tempting him, saying, hey, we're going down, you should go. And they were kind of calling him a liar, calling him a deceiver, saying, look, if you really wanted to be known, if you really do the things that you say that you do, uh, then you wouldn't be doing them in secret, kind of charging him uh, with, with the reason why he's doing things out by the side of the lake of Tiberias in a desolate place and why he went into Samaria to do the things that he was doing is because he doesn't really want to be known publicly because he's not actually doing the things that he says he's doing. And so kind of charging him as a liar and a deceiver, tempting and taunting him, desiring that he would go with them to the Feast of Tabernacles into Judea, uh, he says to them essentially, no, I, I won't go with you. Uh, you guys go on ahead. And he says to them something that's kind of stark and, and startling, where he says to them, the world cannot hate you because you're of the world, but the world hates me because I testify that its works are evil. So he has this contrast up between him and his brothers as he sends them to the feast without him. And then we wrapped up last week with after they, they had left, Jesus went up to the feast separately by the will of the Father, not the will of his brothers, to this Feast of Tabernacles, the, the people are searching around for him. It says the Jews are looking for him, saying, where is he? And that everyone's muttering about him, and that some are saying he's a good man. Others are saying, no, he's leading the people astray. Both of them totally wrong, and no one's seen Jesus yet, but there's this kind of search party out looking for him. Now, if we go back to chapter 5, we'll remember the last time that Jesus was in Judea. 
and he's going to reference it at this point today, but the last time that he was there was when he healed the invalid at the pool at Bethesda, where he told him to take up his bed and walk on the Sabbath, and as the man walked, he invited controversy with the religious leaders, who then had a verbal sparring match with him, where they charged him with doing work on the Sabbath, and he essentially, in so many words, said to them, I'm the God of the Sabbath, and then it said that they sought all the more to kill him because he made himself equal with God. It was at that point that Jesus then departed from them into the countryside, and it's now been some time, maybe about a year, since he's been among these folks. But he's coming on back here in the Feast of Booths so that he'd been avoiding Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him, and yet here he is. Verse 14, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he began teaching And the Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but is his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. It takes us through verse 18 there. Now, I need us to see this, and I certainly don't want to patronize Jesus by being a fanboy, but I got to say to you, like, this is really cool. Like, there's a search party that's looking for Jesus. The Jews are seeking him out. They anticipate that he's going to come to this feast, and so they're looking for him. And so, so afraid of the Jews are the people that they're speaking of Jesus in hushed tones, and they don't even want to be caught saying his name. They're muttering about him. And Jesus goes up privately, knowing that they are seeking to kill him, and they've got the search party out. Remember, this is the Feast of the Tabernacles, so you can kind of imagine they're like tossing tabernacles, right? Tossing booths, looking for Jesus, Right? And so what does he do? About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. They're looking for him. They're going to find him by their might, with their search party, with their strength, tossing the tabernacles. We're going to find Jesus. No one even wants to dare talk about him. And he waltzes into the temple and starts teaching. While the Jews are out in their search party, he goes and takes their spot, their teaching spot, and starts to teach the people publicly. This is super cool. It's just, I mean, that's the point if you want to write it down. <laughs> really cool of Jesus, right? He's just, just not afraid of anyone, right? And the Jews marvel as he's teaching, and they say of him, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied. And this is the wrong kind of marveling, right? Like they're not marveling at what it is that he's teaching so much as that it is that he's teaching without having been taught by man. So knowing that he wasn't raised in the tradition, that he wasn't brought up by a scribe, knowing that he wasn't an educated man, marveling at on whose authority, by whose teaching, who sent this guy, how is it that he's teaching because we don't, we don't know who he studied under. But Jesus, as he demonstrates this mastery of the things of God, this mastery of the scriptures, doesn't say what he was teaching on so much, but we can guess at it because he references Moses later in the passage. And so he's teaching on Old Testament scripture, most likely. He's also teaching probably on his favorite subject that's recorded more than any other teaching. He's teaching on the kingdom of God, more than likely. And as he's teaching with power and wisdom, the people marvel, wondering how is it 
that he is learned if he has not studied? And Jesus answers them. He says, my teaching is not mine, but it is his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. So contextually, what Jesus is doing is he is hearkening to their own traditions, and he is giving some merit to it, honestly. So we've got to think about context here. The Jewish people, the scribes, anybody really who would occupy the temple or a synagogue to teach, you wouldn't teach in your own authority. Uh, and, and in almost no cases would you teach in your own authority in the temple or in a synagogue. The teachers got their authority from precedent, from tradition, and from the one who taught them, or from the scriptures themselves when they would open the scrolls. So you wouldn't dare to speak more than a few minutes without saying, thus saith someone other than me, whoever it is that I'm drawing my authority from. And so in most cases, you would be citing either directly from scripture, you would be citing the one who taught you, the person who discipled you, who, the scribe who pre predated you and, and taught you the the Mishnah, the, the precedent, the code book, the law book of the Jews, and the ones who taught you the scriptures. And so in a setting where your authority comes from another, where your authority comes from tradition, where your authority comes from precedent, where your authority comes from the code books of those who came before you, where your authority comes from the scroll itself, Jesus is up there speaking, having never been taught in any of these settings, speaking with an authority that makes the people marvel. Where did he get his authority from, is the question. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. The teaching's not mine, but it's his who sent me. Of course, referring to God, the Father. Now, Jesus has already established this with this audience and with other audiences over and over and over again, that he only does the will of the Father. He said this over and over and over again. I only do the will of the Father. I only speak the words of the Father, that, that I and the Father are one, right? This is Jesus' lofty claim. Now, even the prophets, now we already we covered that the, the teachers and the scribes, they wouldn't teach in their own authority. The ones who could speak, thus saith the Lord, in antiquity were the prophets. It was the prophets. I can go up here and I can say, thus saith the Lord, because God Almighty spoke to me a message that, I, that has commissioned me to go and speak it to the people. So a prophet when the Lord spoke to them, could go and say, thus saith the Lord. And then after he communicates that message, he goes back into first-person voice, and now it's his own speaking. Jesus is going one further. He is claiming not that he's a prophet who occasionally speaks words from God, but that every word he speaks proceeds from the mouth of the Father. That every time he opens his mouth, he has the authority to say it with the full backing of his Father in heaven, the one who sent him. This is why you see Jesus persistently saying things like, you've heard it said, such and such, but I say to you, such and such. Or when he says to you, truly, truly, I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you, well, where do you get your authority? The one who sent me. I statements Jesus makes and then claims that they're directly from the voice of the Father again and again, making himself equal with God. Jesus claiming his teaching is not his, but it is his who sent him. 
The reason why we elevate this, why we really try to see where it is that Jesus gets his authority from is because he's going to contrast it against the one who teaches of his own authority. He's saying that the reason why his words are trustworthy, the reason why we can hang on to every word, the reason why I only preach left to right through the Bible on a Sunday morning is because he tells us there's a major difference between sitting under the words that come proceed from the will of the one who sent and the words that come from within a man. He says if it's anyone's will to do God's will, he'll know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority because the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who speaks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. So we need to look at this, I think, in two parts. And the first part is that we need to marvel and glory, like I said we would, at the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Jesus, we have to not kind of ever remove the things that he teaches from the other things that he teaches. He's building a story for us and for his people in his earthly teaching ministry. Back in verse 6, I got to preach this over you guys or in chapter 6, rather, Jesus was teaching in verse 44 when he said that no one can come to him unless the Father who sent him draws them or carries them, right? This was a big sermon from several weeks ago. Well, then he says in the next verse, in verse 45, it's written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. So referring to these ones who can only come to him if the Father sends them, he says, of those people that the Father gives to him, that every one of them, according to the prophets, will be taught by God, verse 45. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone's seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father, of course, referring to himself. And so when we connect these two truths to one another that Jesus has spoken, and again, we take them seriously because Jesus spoke them. He says, let's read it again. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he'll know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Well, how will he know that the teaching is from God? Well, he said back in chapter 6, verse 44, again, I'll read this again, everyone who hears and learns from the Father comes to me. So how do you know if you are hearing or learning from God? Those who hear and learn from God come to Jesus. That's the, that's the proof, that's the evidence that those who receive the teaching of God are those who come to the Son. And they asked him in that interaction, we want to remember it, like just so we can really get this, get our heads around this. They said, what do we need to be doing to be doing the works of God? He said, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. To believe unto the Son, to come to him, is to know that you have received teaching from the Father. Because the teaching that proceeds from the Father, his will, is that his church would come to his son. And I know it seems circular almost, right? Seems like a circle where it's like, well, which comes first, the chicken or the egg kind of thing, right? And the reason why it does that in our minds is because it's all God. It's all the Father. We're trying to find the part where we enter in and take responsibility, but we actually see that this is a work of God, that he would open you to receive the teaching that drives you to the Son, and that as you come to the Son, his teaching would point you to the Father. In in a circular motion, you're just brought under the glory and the majesty of the one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So where's our responsibility? Well, let me see. 
See, Jesus says that if, in verse 17, if it's anyone's will to do God's will, he'll know whether the teaching's from God or whether he's speaking on his own authority. But he also said that no one can come unless the Father draws him. So it's no one's will to do God's will. If it's no one's will to do God's will, but I need to have the will to do God's will in order to know what he's teaching, again, we have to break into this and be like, Jesus, where do you resolve this tension? And this is the nature of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is, of course, going to promise this again and again, and we're going to read this whole book, and just so Jesus will clear, clarify this for us. But he says to his disciples towards the end of his ministry, at the end of his life, he says, there are still many things that I have to say to you, but you can't bear them now. But I will go to the right hand of the Father, and I will send the Spirit. The Spirit will come, and he will only do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father will be to teach you all things concerning the Son. He says that's the role of the Holy Spirit. And so it is the Spirit who only does the will of the Father, who will indwell the church, that will permit you to be able to say that it is your will to do God's will. The one who can say it is my will to do God's will is the one who filled with the Spirit who only ever does God's will. Well, that person will carry out God's will. That person, it will be his will to do God's will. So on the one hand, I think we need to make a full stop there because I'm about to preach um, a little bit of something of our responsibility here. But before we even look at that, I think it's really important that we see a very lofty and true view of the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. Guys, your will to do God's will is dependent upon the Holy Spirit in you. But you also have the assurance of the Holy Spirit in you who is only ever inclined to do God's will, which means in any given moment, you, the church, filled with the Spirit, can hear the will of God and do the will of God. And this is freedom. This is our rescue from the bondage and slavery to sin, that where once we were dead in our trespasses, now we have been made alive in Christ by the Holy Spirit, that you are now able to hear and discern the voice of God, that you, when the Son speaks, knows that it is Him who God has sent. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, and it is your blessed assurance that when I'm up here reading the Bible, that you can receive it as true and authoritative because of the work of the Holy Spirit in you, and this is a gift of God, and it is your assurance. But we would be foolish then to ignore the role of the flesh to resist the Holy Spirit who only does and wants to do the will of the Father. You see, the will of the flesh is always bent to do the will of yourself. And so you feel this tension on this side of eternity, right? Before you are made perfectly conformed into the image of Christ, where it seems like you've got some autonomy to navigate what the Spirit is showing you is the will of God and your will, and your will, and they come into tension with one another. The reason why I bring this up is because when I get into a room with you guys, and when you guys get into a room with each other in gospel community, right, I firmly believe because I believe my Bible, and you should believe it too because you believe your Bible, in what's called the priesthood of all believers. I get really jazzed in your company because the Holy Spirit's in you. I believe at any moment your mouth can become the mouthpiece of God because you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. I expect to hear from my Lord through you because he's taken up residence in you. It's why we value gospel community so much. I need you in my living room so I can hear from God. And that, that feels like it's too big to say, doesn't it? Like, I don't want to say it, but I'm saying it. 
My Lord speaks to me through you because his Holy Spirit has taken residence in you. And by the Holy Spirit, you can know the manifold wisdom of God and the secret matters of Christ. You can. But I also want you to know that I am looking at when you are speaking whether or not it is your will to do God's will or whether or not it is you speaking in your own authority. Are you seeking the glory of the one who sent you or are you seeking your own glory? This is what Jesus talks about, right? This matters. If in an interaction, and I guess I, guess I should say it more directly, Jesus is saying, my father sent me and I seek only to do his will. And for that reason, you can trust what I say. And he says that all those who proceed to teach and to seek the glory only of those who sent him. Those are the trustworthy ones. Well, we are sent, we proceed forward by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So to the extent that you desire to glorify the one who sent you, the Father, Son, and Spirit, and to do his will, is the degree to which I ought to hang on to every word you've got to say. But to the degree that you resist the glory of God and fight for your own glory, and to the extent that you resist the will of God and fight for your own will, I should be highly suspicious of every word that you have to say, and likewise, you should be suspicious of me. And the day that I get up here and start saying, I think, you know what I think, you know what I think, you guys got to get me out of here. You guys got to get me out of here because Jesus said that the one who speaks on his own authority is seeking his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. My only standing up here when I speak is that what's proceeding from my mouth are the things that proceeded from Christ's mouth. But if Christ said it, then it has all the authority in the world. So drink it up. It's nourishment for you, and it's nourishment for me. And I need it back from you. But sometimes it is not obvious to me, and it is not obvious to you, who exactly it is that sent you. And who exactly it is that sent me? You know, there are lots of times in a living room or on social media or somewhere else where I'm like, these words are not proceeding forth from the Father. These are from Anderson Cooper. Or this came from Tucker Carlson. Who's like, like the words that are proceeding from your mouth are not, are, this is not somebody seeking the glory of the one who sent him. This is somebody seeking the glory of so-and-so. In most cases, seeking my own glory is what Jesus says. He seeks his own glory. And see, when, we, when he sets up this contrast between the wisdom of the, the folly, really, of man and the manifold wisdom of God in Christ Jesus, they're meant to make, the, the glory of the one is meant to make the other look the way that it actually is, to make it small, as small as it actually is, as insignificant as it actually is. And one of the most dangerous things that I see us doing today, I see, I see it so often, right, is we speak with real authority on something we read about 20 minutes ago. You ever see it, right? It's like, I, I already think something. I need a champion to back my position. So I Google it, find somebody who agrees with what I say, and then cite it as if I've always known it, but I just read it five minutes ago. Right? Like the, but it's just the nature of surrounding ourselves with teachers and champions who can help us to be the one who seeks our own glory, to be the one who teaches from within himself. And it's folly. It's, it's foolishness. But the one who seeks the glory and the will of the one who sent him, which is your Father, Son, and Spirit, your one true God. Well, goodness, I, I'm leaning in. I want to know what he has to say. I want to know what you have to say when you've spent time with him. 
when you've sought him out. Jesus continues, Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, is that the, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So here Jesus hearkening back to the reason why the Jews were seeking to kill him in the first place. Remember, he healed the, the invalid at the pool at Bethesda on the Sabbath. So he made a, whole, a man's whole body well on the Sabbath, and he points them to their law. And he says, in the law, Moses said you've got to keep the Sabbath. But then he also said that you're to keep circumcision. And you're supposed to circumcise within the allotted time frame. And so when they clash and someone needs to be circumcised on the Sabbath, you only circumcise on the Sabbath. Because the circumcision is greater than the Sabbath and that it is the gift of promise. And yet here I make a whole body as well. I, God, and the flesh stand among you and by the word make a man's whole body well on the Sabbath and you seek to kill me. You seek to kill me. It's foolishness, right? Well, this is the difference between a self-made godliness and the godliness, the righteousness that proceeds forth from the Holy Spirit. See, a self-made godliness pours over the words of the law, the Mishnah, right? And, and, and we're not sitting under the Mishnah, right? Like, we're not, like, pulling out, like, the Jewish, Jewish code book to know the precedent as we try to obey the law. That's not what we're doing. But we've got our own Mishnah, right? Like, in, in American Christianity, we've got the things that you can do, the things you're supposed to do, the things you're not supposed to do, right? And we want to follow that. And, we, and, and what we've done, what we, what we often do in this self-made godliness— is we try to follow in the footsteps or obey a God of our own fashioning. A God of our own fashioning. We're, we're certainly bake in some of the things that he has spoken in order that we can mix a little in, that it, could, it can go down easier. But here's the thing, guys. If your God never disagrees with you, it's a good question to ask who you're worshiping. If your God never disagrees with you, it's a good idea to question who you're worshiping. If your God never says anything you disagree with, if your God never commands anything of you that you weren't going to do anyway, if your God doesn't expect anything of you that you, that, that you don't think ought to be expected of you, if you kind of decide for yourself, this is something that you'll hear people say sometimes, is they'll say, I could never believe in a God who, and then fill in the blank, as if God like auditions for our faith. As if, like, God becomes real based on how much he agrees with what we already think. Well, what you're saying is, is that I won't worship that God because I haven't created that God. That somehow we're all kind of worshiping our own Jesus. And he won't permit it. Jesus won't permit it. He says that we must seek the glory of the one who sent him. And we must seek to do his will. And if we want to know what his will is, and if we want to know if teaching proceeds from his mouth, then the test of that is, does it draw us to his son? Does the teaching compel us to worship and exalt and magnify the riches of the son? The teaching that proceeds from the father magnifies the son. 
And so if your, the way that you navigate the teachings that you have submitted yourself to, it causes you to have a lower view of Jesus and a higher view of self, to, to really put anybody in the station that Jesus belongs in, or if it conforms Jesus into the image that you want him to take, rather than conforming you into his image, then these teachings do not proceed from the mouth of the Father. And in this way, our flesh is deceitful. And in this way, so many of us, I think, try to determine whether or not God has spoken based on the level of agreeableness that we feel toward what we're hearing. How do I know if it's from God? Well, do I like it? If I like it, he must be saying it. Stop it. I'm going to keep going. I think we only read through don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. But I'll we'll course correct later. Can this be the Christ? So verse 25, some of the people of Jerusalem then say, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, that no one will know where he comes from. But Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but you've not come, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I've come from him, and he sent me. And so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come, and yet many of the people believed in him. And so the response to him saying, don't judge on appearances, but judge with right judgment, the people then start to judge on appearances, naturally. They say, well, first they're, first they're saying, well, this is, the Jews are seeking to kill this guy. Now he's standing up here teaching in front of everyone in their spot, and no one's doing anything. Could it be that they actually think he's the Christ? And this is humiliating for them, and it's going to really escalate the conflict with Jesus, as we'll see over the next several weeks. But the first thing they do is they try to discern what do the religious leaders think about Jesus. That will help give me clarify. That'll help clarify for me. They're not seizing him. Maybe they believe. If they believe, maybe we should believe, judging on appearances. Number two, they say, well, but we know where he comes from. I don't think we're supposed to know where the Messiah comes from. That's a bad sign. Maybe we shouldn't believe in him. And they start to kind of debate based on appearances. Is this the Christ? And then two things are spoken at the end of that passage where it says, one, they were seeking to arrest him and no one laid a hand on him because his hour hadn't yet come. This is the same that Jesus said to his brothers, I'm not going up there yet because my hour has not yet come. We talked about this last week, that when Jesus says his hour has not come, he's talking about the hour of his death, right? I, I don't know if any of you guys watch Stranger Things, not saying you should. I remember in uh, season one or two, there's this scene where this kid is bullying another kid and he's going up to him to kind of wail on him and this girl, the main character who like has superpowers, telekinesis, stops him in his tracks and then like compresses his bladder with her mind so that he pees all over himself and can't move, right? And I, that's what I see when I see they're seeking to arrest him and yet no one laid a hand on him because his hour hadn't come. They wanted to arrest him. They wanted to kill him. He's right there and it doesn't say why, but they didn't. Why? Because it wasn't his time. Jesus didn't choose to die yet. Jesus didn't choose to let them arrest him yet. But when he released them, they could come and put him in the cuffs. 
And so again, showing himself to be God, and yet in this moment, it says many of the people believed in him, and they said, when this Christ appears, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? And this is the most encouraging sentence in the section. It's like the veil was lifted. They stopped trying to figure it out for themselves. They stopped trying to lean on their own wisdom. They stopped trying to discern the signs, and they just looked at him. They saw him. Finally, and they asked the right question. When the Christ appears, is he going to do more than this? It's got to be him, right? And guys, it's got to be him. And then we're shown the contrast, but the Pharisees can't see it, and they hear the crowd muttering that they think it's him, the Messiah, and so they send officers to arrest him. And here Jesus says to them, I'm going to be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You know, we said he was going to answer three questions. Where'd you come from? I proceeded from the Father. I came from heaven. Who taught you? God. Who sent you? God. Where are you going? So I'm going back to heaven. I'm going to him who sent me. You'll, you'll seek me and you won't find me. Where I am, you can't come. The Jews said to each other, what does this man intend? Where is he, he going to go that we can't find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks? teach the Greeks? What does he mean when he says, you'll seek me and you won't find me, that where I am, you cannot come? Well, guys, he answers the question, I'm returning to the right hand of the Father. Of course, we are going to see this played out in a resurrection story that they won't yet understand, but so many more are going to come to believe, and this includes you and I, that when the teaching of the Son proceeds from the mouth of the will of the Father, that all the rest of his life starts to make sense. Suddenly, these things are connected, and we're going to read it throughout the gospel. The disciples are so humble at times where they actually write it right into their account. Well, they'll say, we didn't understand it when he said it, but then after he was resurrected, then we got it, and we realized that this is what he was talking about. And they say, they're going to say that a bunch in this account and in the other gospels too. But that's us. Sometimes we're going to read it, and we're just going to be like, I believe you're telling the truth, Jesus, but I don't really get it until we see the fuller picture and then suddenly it all makes sense that God of all creation entered into human flesh, laid down his life, took it up again, and ascended back to the right hand of the Father and that the Father, Son, and Spirit today rescue and ransom a people for himself, you and I, and it's by his power, by his Spirit in you to fulfill his will in creation and church. I just want to encourage you this morning to lay down your lesser righteousness, to lay down your lesser wisdom, to lay down your lesser preferences, to lay down your lesser teachers, to lay down all of it and to just bow at the feet of Jesus because that's the proof that what you're hearing proceeds from the mouth of the Father. If you are yielding to Him, worshiping Him, magnifying Him, seeing Him more, as more beautiful, more precious, more powerful, that's how you can know that you are under the teaching of the Father. And I pray that as you are, that you would then be teaching of the Father for one another. Let's pray together to that end as we wrap our time together, and then we will behold him in the gift of communion.